0: Would you open your Bibles with me today to Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20, a passage of Scripture we know colloquially and in the familiar terms as the Great Commission. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Your sermon outline is linked off that bulletin page, or in U version under the events page. One way or the other, you can see the entire outline there for you. You don't have any fill in the blanks, but you can fill in some notes for yourself, or you can just you know write it by hand if you want in your own journal or notebook or something. We think about words like purpose, mission, vision values. And in our modern culture, these words are almost taken as business speak. Yes, these are things that businesses do. They have them on the walls. Oh, kind of like we do here at church. They have them printed on their masthead. They have them printed on their letterhead, somewhere on their website, on the about page. They have these things. But do we really live by them? They may help with motivation. They may help with purposing But do we really live by them? Now, lest we look down on these words, however, consider that as a disciple of Jesus, what is our purpose? Our purpose as a disciple of Jesus can be summed up in a phrase we use around here we should be growing Christ followers. As a noun, that is our purpose. I am a Christ follower who is growing, hopefully but our mission as Christ followers, what we should be doing is the same. We should be about the business of growing others as Christ followers. It's a verb, a verbal phrase. So for us here at Southview, our purpose and our mission are both summarized in that three-word phrase, growing Christ followers. So our sermon today is on the topic of living on mission. This passage of Scripture today, Barna did a survey in 2018 and found out that 51% of evangelical Christians, people like us that go to a church that believes in evangelism, that is Bible-based and teaches the Bible, don't know the Great Commission. That's frightening. N.T. Wright said this of the Great Commission. He's a uh, theologian and writer. He said, Christians who understand what time it is, biblically are called to make disciples and to teach them to obey Christ's commands. He says this Great Commission is impossible without a clear understanding of Jesus Christ as the Lord of the world, the statement that precedes the Great Commission, verse 16, 17, and 18, and Jesus Christ as the one who is present with His people until He returns, this statement that follows the Great Commission, verse 20, the latter part, the B section. So, our focus today is going to be on that middle section, verses 19 through the beginning of verse 20. And we're going to focus, in order to try to keep it simple and try to stay on time, on four words in the Great Commission. Now, before we get there, let's look again at our scripture memory verse for the month. And we'll put that on the big screen here, and it'll be on your screen at home now. And that's John 20, 30 and 31. Let's say it together. John 20, 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John twenty, thirty through thirty one. The purpose of the Gospel of John, the purpose of the Gospels as a whole, the purpose of the Bible as a whole is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God's Son. And that by believing we would have life and abundant and eternal life through Him. That's why we focus on God's Word every Sunday. Why we preach a sermon as the central point of our service together. That's why we have Sunday school classes for all ages to teach the Bible. That's why we have Awana as a systematic discipleship system for boys and girls and teenagers and their parents or the adults that help them learn those things. Because the Bible is all about living with Jesus and growing as a Christ follower. So if you've got your Bibles open, and if you would and are able to stand with me now in the honor of reading God's Word, we'll read our key passage today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16, through the end of the chapter, the end of the book, verse 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Pray with me. Our Father, these words are familiar to us, but we pray that by your Spirit and through our study you bring a new depth of understanding and that through our understanding you would bring motivation in our hearts and our will to change any behavior we need to change that we might be more like Jesus living a life following him in obedience to you we pray this in his saving name and everyone said amen thank you now, as we noted from our N.T. Wright quote a moment ago, it drew our attention to verses 16, 17, and 18. Let's look back there by means of introduction. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They're in Galilee in the last uh, instance there. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, a pre-designated spot. We don't know. It doesn't name it. It's not important. But they knew where He said, and they must have had a spot where they had met in the past. Verse 17, When he saw, when they saw Him... They worshipped Him. One response for living on mission, for being a Christ follower, is worship. That we recognize who Jesus is, and we know who God is, and we realize who we are. That we're sinful, and we need a Savior And we're moved by God's gracious offer of salvation to us, His provision of everything of our life from our breath to our thoughts to our being to all that we call ours that's actually His, and we worship Him. I don't think it's insignificant, however, that the last phrase of verse 17 is included as well. But some doubted. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. Doubt can be honest. Doubt can be a question. Doubt can be searching. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear that keeps you paralyzed from doing what it is God has called you to do by faith. But they had doubts. They had questions. They were normal. They were just like you and me. Hey, thank you that normal people are in the Bible. They're not all perfect, right? Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth Has been given to me. All means all. And just to make sure you knew he meant all everywhere, he said in heaven, i.e., the heavens, in eternity, in the realm you do not know, disciples, and here on earth, in the realm you do know, I have all authority. You know the word all, right? Imagine you had a pint of blueberries, and they were great blueberries. And you were busy doing things in your house and you needed a little snack before supper time. And you thought you were going to go to get the blueberries. And you open the container and there's only one little measly blueberry left. And it's a shriveled up one that you think is going to be sour and nasty and all the other blueberries have been great. But you turn around and you say to your family, who ate all the blueberries? And then the guilty member says, I left one. Well, all's not all in that case, right? Right. If they ate all the blueberries, even the shriveled up sour one would have been eaten. But Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Everywhere you can imagine, in the life you know and in the life you come, I have authority. I'm sovereign and I'm in control. There's a promise there that we need to hold on to when we consider our commission in the four words we're going to study. But let's fast forward to the end of what Jesus says here. In verse 20, The second sentence, verse 20b we'll call it, where Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's that word again, all, always, to the very end of the age. When life as you know it is over, I am going to be with you forever. It's not I'm with you most of the way, I'm with you all of the way. You can trust me to take you as far as you can go. We watched a movie the other night, Greyhound with Tom Hanks. That's Apple, right, Seth? Um, and so, uh, through their streaming service. And it was about the convoys carrying supplies from the United States over to England in the early part of World War II. And there was a space where there was no air cover for the convoys, and the German U boats, the submarines, would come and harass the convoys and shoot torpedoes at them and try to sink the ships. The Germans invested millions, even in 1940 dollars probably billions, I don't know in order to try to stop the supplies coming from the Americas to Europe so they would have a chance maybe to win the war. That part where there was no air cover, they called it the Black Pit. And it would take them two and a half days to cross at the steam that they were going. The Germans knew it. They knew it. The air cover could not be with them always. They were vulnerable in the black pit where there was no air cover from the North American coast or the European coast. For two and a half days they were vulnerable. But you and I don't have that same sort of vulnerability. Though there are U-boats lurking and though people would try to sink us, Jesus is with us always, to the very end of the age, from the beginning of our life to the end of our life. He was with us before we even knew life because He's God and He's sovereign. So we've got two promises there. Two promises as bookends to the four words we're going to consider to living on missions. And the first promise is of Jesus' authority. He says, all authority I've got. And the second promise is of Jesus' presence. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. And for what I'm about to tell you in the next four words, you need to keep in mind those two promises, all authority and all the time, that Jesus always has power for anything in your life. And Jesus is always present for everything in your life. So everything else that I'm about to tell you is bookended by those two things. That should give you faith and encouragement in the midst of your doubt with the challenges you look at. So there are four words for living on missions, four key words in the Greek. But we need to understand something first, and that is, what is the difference between a participle and a verb? Now, I didn't do that great in English back in school, but, you know, I can Google. And so I Googled just today to make sure I understand the definition of a participle, and here's what it says. Participle is a noun. It's a word formed from a verb like going, gone, being, been, like I was going. I pronoun, was, verb, going, participle. It's made from a verb, but it's acting like a noun, right? I was going. I have been. And it can also be used as an adjective, like she's a working woman, or I burn, it's burned toast. it can be used as a noun, like good breeding is the example here. And so a participle, although it looks like a verb, functions as a noun. Now the difference here is there are three participles of the four words I'm going to talk to you about, so they're actually nouns. And there's only one verb here that I'm going to talk to you about, and it's an imperative verb. Imperative means you must do it. And we know that a verb is action, it is doing. So when we consider verses 19 and 20a, the way our English versions of the Bible read and the way we read them is frankly not right compared to the Greek. Let's read it here again. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So churches generally fall into one side or the other. We are going and we are a church on mission. Or we are baptizing and we are teaching. We are a church that's making disciples. But either side is a pitfall because Jesus gives the commission as a whole. And frankly, there's only the one imperative verb here. And the other three are participles. As a church, we should be balanced in uh, our approach when we follow the great commission. So you've been waiting for this part, right? So your first word that we're going to talk about is going. And going is actually a participle. As I am going through life. So going is a participle. The second word we'll talk about in a minute is disciple. That's the imperative verb. That's the part you've got to do. The third word that we're going to talk about is baptizing. Again, a participle. It's a noun. The fourth word we're going to talk about is teaching. Again, a participle, a noun. So these three participles that surround this one imperative verb are there, and they carry the same force as the imperative verb, but they are participles in the Greek. And as a result, sometimes we've misinterpreted the Great Commission because we look at our English translation rather than take a little bit deeper and ask the scholars, what does it say in the Greek? That's what we're going to talk about. So the first word there is going. As I'm going through life, you've heard me talk before that when I was a teenager, I worked at McDonald's. One thing they taught me at McDonald's was a simple phrase, clean as you go. That as you are going, clean. So we were always supposed to have, because I started on the grill, and I love the grill. I I know you smell bad and the greasiness and the pickle smell on your fingers that only came out with really chlorinated water once you got home. But we always had to have a grill towel that was dumped in cleaning solution, you know, which is part water and part bleach. I don't remember the uh, mixture or whatever, you know. And so that was there, that bucket full of water, and you had the grill towel so that you kept your station clean. That was just part of the way we did it at McDonald's back in those days. I don't know how they do it today. I'm not going to comment on that. But 30 years ago, that's what we did. Clean as you go. And you think about your family. There are some members of your family, sometimes the mom, sometimes not, that naturally they clean as they go. They're picking things up. They're putting things where they belong. They're wiping things off. And other people are just oblivious and walk right through, right? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, some of you live in houses like that, don't you? But when we apply that to this participle, going, as you are going through life, as you are living your life, yes, missions for some may require a special commission to go somewhere away from where they're at, but what this commission says to all of us is where you are living with the people you know in the neighborhood you live in at the job that you have, that's where you are to go. You're to be about this commission of making disciples where you're at. So your question says, how am I mindful of Jesus? How is it that you are mindful of Jesus, that you see Jesus at work around you? You've heard the story before of when I met Melanie at a big missions conference July 31st, 1995. Not that that date's important to me or anything, that I'd remember it so easily. But I saw this pretty missionary nurse, and she was taking people's blood pressure. And I went and got my blood pressure taken, and thankfully I got to spend most of that the rest of that day with her. And I get back to my room, and I'm telling my roommate, who's a friend from my church, about this pretty missionary nurse I met. And I'm so excited, and then it hit me with horror. Oh, I forgot to make a plan to see her tomorrow. I don't know if I'll see her at breakfast. I don't know if I'll be in any classes with her. I don't know. It might be until tomorrow night when we go to the big worship rally and I have to look around through 2,000 people and try to find her. I was mortified. What had I done? Think about how it is when you love somebody. They're a focus of your attention. You can't think, wait to uh, to meet them again, and you're always thinking about what you're going to say when you see them again. And nowadays, you can text them all the time anyhow or FaceTime them. But back in those days, man, we were writing old-fashioned letters, dude. We had 12 cents a minute, long-distance phone calls. Anybody else remember those days? Some of you remember longer than that, right? Yeah. I was mindful of her. Because my heart had already fallen in love with her, right? Think about Jesus in your life. The Bible says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. Do you love Him that way? Are you mindful of Him? You can't wait till the next time you get to spend time with Him in your Word. You can't wait till the next time you get to focus on just Him in prayer. You can't wait to, oh, I gotta write that down. That I heard. Jesus, what do you think about this? That you live a life devoted to Him. So going is a participle that supports our verb, supports our verb. Let's get to our second word here. Our second word is translated in my NIV as make disciples, and then the rest of the phrase is all of all nations. But that word is disciple. And it actually is best translated as when. When others to Jesus, and there's quite a few arguments for this. Uh, First, it's a punctiliar verb. It's a point in time. It's something that happens like a punctuation mark. I said my sentence, period. There's a stop at the period. There's a pause at a comma or a semicolon, right? We know that. John Mark learned how to uh, do punctuation because he heard me dictate so many texts in Siri. You know, hey, comma, Melanie, explanation point. When are you coming home for supper? Question mark. And John Mark would talk like that because he heard me talk like that. <laughs> These punctiliar verbs are point in time verbs. So it's not make disciples over a long period of time and you're ongoing making disciples like so often we translate it. No. It's make as in when them to be a disciple it happens once. They're saved, And they follow Christ as a disciple. That comes in the last participle, teaching, right? And frankly, that word was translated as when before 1884. Then one English translation translated is as make disciples. And then everybody else has followed ever since. And it's not the best translation. This is one where not just the NIV gets it wrong, but pretty much every other English translation gets it wrong by based on what it means. So if we're to win others to Jesus, you're like, hey, wait a second, Pastor Aaron. I thought this was going to be a mission sermon. Now you're telling me it's an evangelism sermon. I'm supposed to win others to Jesus. No, I'm telling you it's a discipleship sermon. It's about following Jesus because you have been one to Jesus and you are a Christ follower. Part of your work as a Christ follower is to, as you are going, win, i.e. share the gospel so that others might be one to Jesus. You see where we're going here? That's the verb. Your job is to be about the business of winning. Therefore, your job must be about the business of sharing the gospel with others, which begs the question there. Why should I share my faith in Jesus? Um, why should you share your faith in Jesus? Have you looked around? I'm not saying that we as believers of Jesus are better than people that are lost. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that our world is lost and it's messy. And even among believers in Jesus who don't walk too close to Him. Things are messy and ugly and sinful. And we've got all the stuff going on from craziness to chaos to hate to injustice to division and prejudice and racism. And all sorts of sinfulness going on in our world. Not to even mention The physical manifestations of our fallen world like diseases like COVID, it all flows from the sinfulness of the human heart. And we should care that the world is lost. And rather than just say, yes, I realize the world is lost and leave it as this big thing that it's just the world. Think about people, you know, family members, friends, co-workers that you love that you're not sure if they were to die today if they would go to heaven and if you're going to get to spend eternity with them. And you can't imagine them suffering the torments of hell and maybe get yourself more motivated to share your faith in Jesus with them because that's the point of the Great Commission Not that missionaries would be sent out to the far sides of the world to win people to Jesus, but that you and I right here where we're at would be about the business of sharing the faith in Jesus so people here would be won to Jesus. That's why we should share our faith in Jesus. Let's get to our third word for living on mission, and that's baptizing. Baptizing. Once they have followed Jesus. Since our word is win, and that's about Becoming a disciple, point in time, it happens. Then after that, we should baptize them. And they're baptized, that is a participle, it's a noun. And once they have followed Jesus, so since they've been one, then they can be baptized. This is where we have a problem with liturgical churches, Catholic churches. You baptize somebody before they're a Christian. Well, they have a different understanding of what it means to become a Christian than us as well. So that's why even though I have lots of Catholic friends who I love and respect and Lutheran friends and other denominations, they got salvation messed up. Salvation's by grace through faith. It's an act of whatever as a decision that you've got to be old enough in your own will to make. Whether somebody gets you wet pouring, sprinkling whatever as a child does not save you. That's not in the Bible. Even this passage of scripture right here, you are baptized once you have committed your life to Christ. You've been one to Christ. Baptism is a symbol. It doesn't save you. Kind of like my wedding ring is a symbol. It shows people that I am married. And I wear it regularly. Unlike baptism, you don't wander around, you know, in a wet robe all the time. Or you don't wander around with a sign that says, hey, I've been baptized as a believer. So my wedding ring analogy falls short there. But you get the idea. It's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. It's something that's already happened. But the point we can infer from it is the question there. How do I help others' commitment to Jesus? That's your third question on that third point is, how do I help others in their commitment to Jesus? Because if we've shared our faith with somebody, because we're growing Christ followers, then we help them, begin to help them grow as Christ followers. We're going to say to them, the next thing you need to do is get baptized, because that's what the Bible says. And so that's really the first step in helping others in their commitment to Jesus. We're helping them by saying to them, hey, you may not know it because you had not been around church for a while, but now that you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible says you have to be baptized. So we're helping them take a step in obedience. It's just one step. The Bible says that you should read, study, pray, live. All the things that those of us who have been here for a while know that somebody who's coming in new doesn't know. We're helping them in their commitment to Jesus. Let's move on to our fourth and final word. It's our third participle, and that's teaching. Teaching followers to obey Jesus. We are growing Christ followers. That's who we are, a noun. But we're about the business of growing Christ followers. That's what we do, our mission, a verb. We're teaching followers to obey Jesus. We open God's word. And we look at it and we say, how does this apply to our life? Have you guys figured out the way I write sermon outlines most of the time, right? I make a statement and then I ask a question with a we or an I or a me. So that it applies to me and it applies to you. I'm trying to help us take God's word and apply it to our life for practical life change in the lives we live so if teaching others to obey Jesus is something we should do as part of our commission to follow Jesus, it begs the question, your fourth and final question, who am I spending time with to grow like Jesus? Well, your kids, if you're a parent, you've got children at home, even if they're not in a home. But are you intentional in that? I'm not as intentional as I should be. Maybe you're not either. Is there someone else you know? that has made a commitment to follow Christ, but they need somebody to walk alongside them to help teach them, to help them grow, that could be you. You can do that through Sunday school. You can do that through a small group. You can do that one-on-one. But there's an intentionality of a relationship where you say, I'm going to give some of my time to help someone else grow as Christ, and it will help you grow as Christ as well. So, friends, we didn't take enough time to go too deep today to back up these assertions and the Greek verbs and nouns and syntax I've talked about. But just quickly, I wanted to point out these four words and what they mean to us as we live as Christ followers right here where we're at. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us and teaches us. That even in scripture passages that are familiar, when we look a little more deeply, and when we read, we see that it may not be what we've always thought. And that this great commission is not for missionaries that get sent somewhere else, but this great commission is for each and every one of us. That as followers of Jesus, where we live, we're to be about the business of sharing our faith, leading others to discipleship, teaching them to be disciples. That should be who we are, like living and breathing. So God, our Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we pray that we would be obedient to do whatever it is that You've called us to do. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.